Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. from Acts 27 verse 1 to Acts 28 verse 10. So if you could all turn there in your Bibles. We all there? All right, from verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV, by the way. And when it was decided that we should, we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave, gave him leave to go to his friends and be careful. And putting out, putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found the ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty of Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salmon, coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the, even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbour was not suitable to spend the winter in, the, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they would reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew greatly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the northeaster, struck, struck down from the land. <clears throat> and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Cystris, on the Cytis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard 
with their own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope was all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Sorry. Verse twenty one. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold... God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took, they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying our anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when we had said these things, he took the bread and, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were, all, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed the bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, the bow stuck, and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, and they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, 
No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him, prayed, and put in his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honoured us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Shall we pray and ask God to help us understand this passage? Good afternoon, Father. We are grateful for the privilege of being able to call you Father. Such a sweet and tender and endearing term. Could we be any closer related to you? Father, Jesus said that your word is spirit and it's life. Therefore, we ask that you would help us by your spirit to understand the life that is in this passage. Open our eyes, we pray. Soften our hearts, Lord, in order that as we hear, particularly what you would have to say to us individually, Lord, that we'd have the grace to be obedient to that word and that we would have grown by virtue of being here this afternoon. Lord, that we would get out of our seats today taller, stronger, by virtue of your word empowering us and changing us and even affecting us. Lord, let us leave this place different people, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Welcome everyone. My name's Robert. I'm one of the privileged pastors here. And we're in Acts chapter 27, as we just heard. And our topic today is God's titanic purpose. Honestly, not trying to be clever with these titles, but endeavoring that in the title, it would encapsulate what we're really going to be talking about. God's titanic purpose, and we know that Paul is on his journey to God's particular and specific purpose for his life, which is in Rome. Evidently, God has been working out his purpose in Paul's life, but we know it's going to culminate in this place. Now, for those of you that know me, you know that there's probably three things that I don't like. One, I don't like spiders. Two, I don't like heights. And three, you may not know this one, but I don't like the sea. And it's not because I can't swim, because I can, and not just to save my life. You know, you ask sometimes, you ask someone, can you swim? They're like, well, I can swim to save my life. That means they can do maybe three strokes, and then that's it. That's not me. I can sw- I'm not an Olympic swimmer. I can swim. Now, you know... You know you know they say white men can't jump? Well, 
They say black men can't swim. <laughs> and it's true. How many, how many black men do you see in the Olympic swimming team? It's like rare. So when I say I, I don't like the sea, it's not because I can't swim, because that's not true of this black brother. It's funny, when we're in Jamaica, I was the guy, because I'm scared of the sea, I'd always be like, where are you not going? This time, Mark, Tim, all them guys stripped down and they got their snorkel stuff on and they're jumping out in the sea. And I'm like, you lot must be careful out there. They're like, Rob, man. I said, look, in the water, they had these black things called sea urchins. I don't know if you've ever seen one. And they got these spikes on them. They look like time bombs ready to explode. And if you step on them, they can cause like you know, serious injury, especially in a place like Jamaica where they ain't no, you know what I'm saying, King's College Hospital ain't around the corner. You're feeling me? Um, there's deadly, what they call lionfish. They're really pretty and they're beautiful and they flutter through the water, but they're deadly. I'd be like, you lot, be careful. They're like, oh, because they know it's dangerous. But they, they try and ignore it. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And, and they go out in the water. <laughs> Listen, Mark was out there one day and he saw a five foot wide stingray. These things can kill you. I am quick to remind them. Now, when Helen and myself got married... We went to actually, yeah, just after we got married, we went to Florida. I've got an uncle who lives in Florida. And we was over there for just a couple of weeks. And this is one of the reasons why I don't like the sea. Because we were just kind of, no kids at that time, just enjoying a little time together. I just got married. We, I was in the water. Helen was um, sunbathing. And I was in the water. I was in, if you know me, that's another thing. I just got this thing about sunbathing. I don't think it's healthy. But anyway, I get into, the, I'm in the water and I'm about six meters off the shore. So I'm not far, you know what I mean? And I'm just enjoying myself in the water. The water's blue. It's beautiful. Probably like what Sammy and Abby are enjoying now on their honeymoon. You know what I mean? And I'm there and all of a sudden, amidst the beautiful sunshine and just having a good time and white sand, this rip curl grabs me and drags me about 10 meters out in less than a second. And I'm out in deep water and I'm like head over elbow, don't know what's up and what's down. And by the grace of God, it seemed like the same rip curl that grabbed me and took me out, grabbed me and brought me back. And I take time and come out the water. (laughs) And from that point, I've always just been really careful when it comes to the sea, the sea ain't nothing to joke with. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, maybe I watch Titanic one too many times. But today we're going to look at something that could initially seem like a disaster. And you might even look at your own circumstances and your situation could... S- Similarly, seem like a disaster. But before we begin to apply this to ourselves, let's get it in its context first. Last time we saw Paul having a deja vu moment. You remember? A couple of weeks ago. He had been on trial again. 
and again and again for the same alleged crime. But there was not a shred of evidence against him and he found himself standing before two Roman procurators and who? And the king. His name was Agrippa. Now I want you to note that. Two Roman leaders and a king. And at face value, it seems like a major injustice. And it seems like a big waste of time. And it is an injustice. And I'm sure that Paul could have been doing something better with his time, yet this is exactly what God wanted. And Paul is doing exactly what God wants him to do. Paul is in the very center of God's will And he knew it. And Paul wasn't phased to the point of giving up. No. Paul was focused and faithfully committed to the furtherance of the gospel. Because Paul was only seeing circumstances that would fulfill the wonderful words of Jesus. Remember in Acts chapter 9 verse 15, earlier at his conversion... Remember the incident with Ananias, who was just a simple disciple who came and laid hands on Paul and baptized him, remember? Well, it was at that time that Paul um, was exposed to this. Verse 15, Acts chapter 9, but the Lord said to him, that is, this is to Ananias to go tell Paul, right? The Lord said to him, go, because remember, Ananias didn't want to go. The Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Wow. Before he even knew it. To carry my name before who? The Gentiles. And we saw that, didn't we, in his three missionary journeys. As we've been journeying through Acts. And also before who? Kings. Kings. And we just, as I mentioned, he's already stood before a king, Agrippa. And it's, and it's not finished yet. And also the children of Israel, who is consistently, persistently been testifying to regarding the grace of God, hasn't he? That's exactly what's happening. Exactly as Jesus had predicted years before, 25 years earlier. And it's happening exactly the way Jesus had determined. Exactly as he predicted it would. So Paul perseveres, although in difficult, Challenging, restricted, unfair, and even life-threatening circumstances. He perseveres, confident that his suffering is not in vain. May we be encouraged to, to do the same. Now, that's the recap. Now, as much as Paul is in prison, the Lord is actually using his incarceration... To do what? To protect him. Remember the Jews were doing their utmost to kill Paul. And God protects Paul. Not with a supernatural force field. No. But he does use a supernatural force field. God uses the Romans to protect Paul. And not just protect but to provide transport, safe transport at that. We saw in the last verse of our last chapter that because Paul had appealed to Caesar, 
it would mean him being taken where? To Rome. Wow. By hook or by crook, God would get Paul to Rome. How great is the wisdom of God? Question. Do you know that God is able to get you to the place that he determines? Notice I said that God is able to get you to the place that he determines. But the question is, do you want to go? Well, in the same way that God would get the Lord Jesus to Jerusalem, remember, he's going to get Paul to Rome. Jesus wanted to go, but how many of you know it was hard? Just think about the journey to the cross. Paul wants to go, but it's hard if you've been here as we've been traveling with him. It's been hard. It's been a hard quarter of a century. Yet God, in his sovereign grace, would get him there. And he can get you there too. That is, to the place of his purpose. Even though in the face of your circumstances, it seems impossible. Some of you are going in the opposite direction to his purposes. It seems impossible. Others might be looking at you thinking, you are never going to make it. But with man... There are things that are impossible, but with God, how many of you know all things are possible? Well, doesn't it seem impossible for Paul here in this chapter? Look at verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, which is obviously where Rome is, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, verse 3 says that Julius was a good man. He was very kind to Paul, giving him short-term day release to see his friends before leaving and also allowing his companions to travel with him. See Aristarchus in verse 2 and also hidden in the text who also is traveling. Luke's traveling and we know that because in verse 3 the writer says we. You can't use the pronoun we if you're not there. Right? The next day, they set sail, probably from Caesarea, which is where Paul was in prison. And immediately, they encounter difficulty. I want you to notice this. Up until now, Paul has been ferociously obstructed. By who? By man-made opposition. How will he respond now to nature or natural catastrophe? Now that he has left his Jewish foes behind on land, he now seems to have found another enemy. Verse 4 says, the what? The winds were against him. The winds were against us, the writer says. Now, the winds. You know that 
in Job, what was it that destroyed his house and destroyed his kids in the meantime? How about in the book of Revelation where it says just before God releases hell on the planet, the angels are holding back the four what? They're holding back the four winds. Now, I'm not saying this is definitely what is happening, but this is possibly what is happening. Paul is up against another enemy. Well, we, we know he's up against the enemy anyway. This is just another way that sometimes the enemy fights his unfair, dirty battles, throwing low blows. Now, it says they had to sail, and they sailed very close to the island of Cyprus. Anyone been to Cyprus? They sailed very close to the island of Cyprus. Why did they sail close? For protection. For protection. Rather than take a straight course, hopefully you can see the map up behind me, it would have been easier to take a straight course, but they couldn't. Why? Because of the opposition. Because of the winds. Right? And you can follow me as we go through the text, hopefully, on the map. They then arrive at a particular place in verse 7, right? Nidus. Um, and then we see them have to swap ships. And then verse 7 says, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived how? I'm trying to keep, I know it's hard, that's why I use the overheads. Um, apart from the verses of text that we're looking at, because I want you to look in your Bible, I particularly don't put them up so that hopefully you will look at your Bible. I want to get your head in the Word, because ultimately this is what's going to change us. This is what's going to affect us. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to, my, to our path. This is what is really going to aid us in every area that we have need. Don't get it twisted. Every single area. So... I'm trying to encourage you to get your head in the text. Verse 7, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived, how? With difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete. That means they basically sailed up close to Crete, seeking protection from the gale force winds. Because obviously the island will break the wind, right? Verse 8, coasting along it, how? All right, you see? I ask you to note the fact that this issue of difficulty keeps on coming up. Coasting along it, verse 8, with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which is just south of Crete, near which was the city of Lacia. Against all odds, they've made it to Crete, probably about half the journey. Right? At this point, what would you do? It's been a nightmare getting here. Three times with great difficulty. Having to go close to the island so that the wind don't... What would you do at this point? Huh. <laughs> Boy, I turned back. I don't know if I turned back into that storm. But I think you're right in saying I wouldn't go no further. I mean, I told you already, right? I like to keep my feet on solid ground. 
Me, I'm a landlubber. And I think at this point, even Paul is feeling a little nervous. And remember, he's a hardened traveler over sea and land. And check it, it's September. <laughs> I nearly broke out in song there. Um, it's September. <laughs> it's September, which we understand by the fast mentioned in a moment which is a reference to the Day of Atonement, which takes place just before this time, kind of August. So it's September or possibly October, and this is the most dangerous, the most treacherous and tempestuous time of the year to sail the Mediterranean. Verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, check it, how was, how, how was the voyage? It was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. That is um, that which we just mentioned, the Day of Atonement. And so Paul advised them. He's like, you know what? Sirs, listen to me. <laughs> I perceive, and it didn't take much perception. He didn't perceive it just because he was Paul the Apostle, right? Anybody could have seen this. But he says, you know, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but check it, also our lives. I mean, can you hear Paul's fear? Paul is shook. Paul is shook for his own life. Doesn't that sound strange? I mean, it wouldn't sound strange if I said that. Boy, Pray for me and Bertram. We're going to Nigeria. Boy. It, that don't sound strange to you. Because you know that I'm not the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> and I suspect you would probably feel the same if you were going somewhere in the face of possible danger. But Paul, I'd be like, Wow. It's not often we see this, but we have to remember that even Paul was human. Verse 11. But the centurion, weren't trying to hear Paul, he paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Now, obviously, the pilot's the captain, and the owner of the ship potentially is on, on board, concerned about his boat, his, his vessel, and maybe the cargo, right? So them two, they come up with a dis- determined decision. Hey, you know what? We're... we're We're moving forward. We're not stopping. We're not staying. We're going. These men evidently decided to continue for reasons that we're unclear about. And then Julius, the Roman centurion, who's responsible for the prisoners on board, which was probably a large group, right? Given that there were 276 passengers in total, Julius the centurion decides to continue the journey. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there against Paul's instruction on the chance <laughs> on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now based on the distance that's already been traveled so far, it seemed like, you know what, we've come this far, it's just a little hop. I mean, from this point to where they want to camp and kind of dock 
for winter in Phoenix. It's, like, it's only about 50 or 60 miles. Based on where we come from, come, let's do this, because we can't stay here. I mean, I don't know what... Obviously, it's to do with the cargo, isn't it? And the ship. Because Paul's like, you know what? Like you and me, I don't business about the cargo. Forevermore, I'm a prisoner. Man's just out here trying to spare his own life. But they decide to go. See, nothing compared to the, the journey that they had just made, it seemed. But it would prove to be a big mistake. They should have listened to Paul. Verse 13 through 15, we see now the calm before the real storm. Verse 13, now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along a long creek close to the shore. It's like, yeah. Things look cool, the weather's fine. Let's, let's do this. But as I said, this is the calm before the storm. Verse 14, but soon a tempestuous wind. Tempestuous. The word in Greek is tuphonikos. It's where we get our word typhoon from. Listen, a hurricane now comes. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, what did they do? We gave way to it and were driven along. Hmm. Now this is not good. Now even though what I'm going to share now is not the meaning of the passage at this point, it does remind me of times when we have an inclination that we are in dangerous quote-unquote waters. And we continue, albeit in a dangerous direction, only to get swept up and carried away. Only to end up in greater difficulty and possible destruction. you got no control now. But you were in control. You have no options now. But you had choices before. But you made bad decisions. You're full of regret now. Well, it's because you didn't heed the warning. If only you could go back. Back to the safety of the shore. But it's too late. The violence of the storm is overpowering. And it says they can no longer direct the ship. They thought they was in control and they thought, yeah, we know where we're going and we know how to get there. Hello. Overpowered by the storm, they can no longer direct the ship. It is, the ship has now been seized by the wind. Recently, 
We've been reminded, haven't we, of the formidable force and power of the natural elements. We've seen that in the news recently, haven't we? Back-to-back events. In light of these disasters, may God help us to humble ourselves like Job. Amen? At this point, the ship is helpless and it gives in to the storm. There now is no escape. There was opportunity beforehand, but not anymore. It's too late now. I wonder if at this point, Paul loses all hope. Thinking, man, I'm never going to get to Rome now. Look how close I got. I mean, when he probably stepped on board the ship, knowing the ship was going to Italy, even Paul the Apostle could have been like, hey, come we go. Come we go. Come we go, Rome. Aristarchus, Luke, come we go. Come, fellas, come we go, Rome. You could possibly, Paul could have felt, because he's on the ship. I mean, where else are they going to go? Apart from to their determined destination. I wonder if Paul now is thinking, oh my goodness. See, earlier we saw that he was feeling unsure about the trip. But he's a prisoner. We've got no choice, right? Paul was unsure, he was unsure about the trip and now his fears seem to be confirmed. Don't you hate it when you're in that place? When you know you shouldn't do something and then you think, mm, and then you make the bad decision to do it and then you know it's too late now, I can't turn back. It says they try their best to secure the ship by throwing ropes around And under the vessel, bringing them back up and tying them off, right? Verse 17. In order to hold, hopefully, the ship together. Due to the battering wind and the waves. They then drop the ship's mast with its sails. I mean, the sails are normally what you use to catch the wind in order to to take you in the direction that you want to go in. But as it says... They've been taken over. They've been overwhelmed now. So in order just to spare their, you know, let's take down the mast and the rigging because that gives the wind greater power against us. The thing that we thought we had under control going to take us where we want to go. Now, oh my gosh, it's overwhelmingly powerful. Let's try and minimize its power, they say. And then they throw the once precious cargo (laughs) overboard. Why? To lighten the ship, making it less resistant and less prone to damage. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. You must make sure when you read your Bible, you don't read over important aspects. You hear that? See, very often we're like, you know what? I'm going for a difficult time. And nobody don't really understand me. I heard a story by Damien Kyle. I think I might have told it one time at a um, community group. 
Damien Carl's a pastor in California of a Calvary Chapel, great teacher. It was like this lady came into his, his office one day and she said, oh, Pastor Damien, I'm going through a difficult time. I mean, things are horrendous. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. It's dark. So he was like, whoa. He was like, well, you know, that reminds me of a time in Genesis when Joseph was going through a difficult, and then she interjects. She says, wait a minute. She says, I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about real life. <laughs> Sometimes you can be going through a difficult time think that you're the only one that really understands the temperature. You know what I mean? You're the only one who really understands what's going on in your life at that point. Look, look at verse 20. When, if it wasn't bad enough already, it says when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. I mean, how dark is that? And you're on a ship, especially for me, who's scared of, scared of the sea. I'm like, whoa. When I think about my circumstances in the light of this, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Helen wants to go on a cruise. Pastor E mentioned Pastor P's 20th anniversary. It was ours last October, and we've been saying for about six or seven years, 20 years, we have to do something special. We wanted to renew our vows, you know what I mean? We wanted to go on, I say we, Helen wanted to go on a cruise. <laughs> and you know that obviously we had a disaster last year. Helen's dad died, and it's like, but how can I, to some degree, I look at this, I look at the text, I look at the scriptures, I look at what God has catalogued in order that I might be encouraged by it, and I, and I appreciate what it says. Wow, no sun, no stars for many days. It's wet. I mean, wet doesn't even describe what they're experiencing. It's windy. None of us don't know about them kind of wind. People in Japan know about this kind of wind. It's cold. It's dark. No sun, no stars. That means no, op no opportunity for natural navigation. Even if you knew where you wanted to go, you can't go. God's word is, is gone. The only thing is, do we, do we have eyes to see? Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit potentially could be saying to us through his word? I mean, even if, they, even if they could use the navigational instruments, they couldn't because the way the wind and is, is tossing them all over the place. And it's funny, I thought about that term, being driven by the wind and tossed. I wonder if Paul was meditating on this wind and the waves as he thought about writing Ephesians chapter 4. Driven by the wind and tossed, what that looks like. I wonder if Paul had this experience in mind. This storm was unyielding. Verse 20 goes on to say, and no small tempest lay on us. Therefore, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And again, notice the personal pronoun. This is Luke saying this. It's not just looking at them saying, boy, you know what, they all gave up. They saw the storm and the wind and the waves and they was like, boy. No, he's talking about us, we, 
all of them got to the point where like, it's over. Things are definitely not looking good. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me (laughs) and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. (laughs) I remember hearing my mom say that to me. You ever hear anybody say that to you? See, you pick up your your headstrong self back, you're going to do this and you don't know what this is. Only for the person who told you not to do that, tell you, I told you so. Is it out of frustration that Paul says, I told you, I told you lot, it's coming like I told, look, you remember remember when I told them? I don't think so. I don't think this is the way in which he said it. I think that Paul had evidently given them good advice. Which they had rejected. You know what they say? They say in life you... Proverbs says, in life you always learn one of two ways. You either learn by instruction or you learn how? By experience. Either way, you will learn. See, Paul said, look, I told you. They'd rejected his admonition. Now, check it, seeing that Paul was right then could quite possibly encourage them to listen to his suggestions now. And it's interesting that something had happened to cause Paul, who who had evidently felt discouraged. All of a sudden, Paul perks up all of a sudden and it seems to be the same thing that happened back in chapter 23 if you remember at a time when Paul was previously discouraged remember Acts 23 verse 11 says the following night this is when he was proper busted like oh no dark situation again they come back to back for Paul The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, what? Take courage. Take heart. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also in Rome. Notice the two things that Jesus said to Paul. I mentioned them the last time. I'm going to reiterate them again. First, He encouraged him. But he didn't encourage him by just saying be encouraged. He didn't just encourage him for the sake of encouragement's sake. What did Jesus do? He encouraged him to continue to be faithful. Sometimes the word of encouragement ain't going to change anything much. Apart from just say, hey, you're in the right place at the right time. Keep going. See, we don't see encouragement like that. We, we want financial encouragement. Hello? Or we want female encouragement. Or we want male encouragement. Tell me I'm lying. See, 
What did Jesus do? He encouraged him to continue to be faithful. Keep doing what you're doing, Paul. Is the word of encouragement from Jesus the Christ. That is, Paul, keep being gospel-centric. Keep being gospel-focused. Paul, keep being Jesus-focused. That's the first thing Jesus says to him. What's the second thing he says to him? Jesus says to him, Paul, you're going to Rome, baby. That's, and, it, and check it, it's to continue to do that which he has been already faithfully doing. Which is what? Testifying to the gospel of grace. See, see do you want to be encouraged today? That's not me talking about Paul. Talking about, I'm talking about you as you sit here. Do you want to be encouraged today? You know what I mean? Well, the question is, what do you expect to hear? What are you expecting to hear? Ah, oh, well, boy, you know what, Robert? I wouldn't mind an all-expenses trip to Rome. <laughs> See, but we got a different thing in our mind when we say that. Sometimes I think it would be easier if I, as a pastor, was a hyper-charismatic, prosperity-positioned vending machine. Because see, that way, you could, you could come to church, put your money in, and you'd be able to pick what you want, and then that comes a package filled with your desire. But see, it doesn't actually work like that. See, me, Pastor E, Pastor P, who's not here this week, having a well-deserved rest, Mark, Bertram, Neil, as pastors, we have to resort to the historical, traditional, biblical option. This ain't no one-armed bandit where you can come to church and hit the jackpot. See, the option that we have is that we don't provide for you like a vending machine. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. This is our resort. This is what we got to offer. And so, says Paul, right into the Colossians, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to do what? To pray for you. Asking that you get what you need. See? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to, because for a reason, right? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully, not partially, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit. Much fruit and fruit that would remain in every good work and increasing. This is you increasing. That's me too. Increasing in the knowledge of God. See, you can't get away from having to get to know God through his word. You see, knowledge has to do with the mind. And this stuff don't jump up 
onto your shoulder and then crawl into your ear. Like while you're sleeping. Increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power. It doesn't mention money once. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's what we got to resort to. Sorry. But I'm sorry that we can't provide what you may want. But how many of you know that's not inconsistent with the gospel? Jesus doesn't promise us what we want. He promises to meet our what? Our needs. And sometimes we don't identify our needs, particularly, particularly living in a materialistic, saturated environment. My gosh, we ain't got time. Look with me at the message brought to Paul during this difficult time. Paul is speaking in verse 22. Yet now, remember, he's had a switch all of a sudden from real down in the doldrums, all of a sudden perked up great encouragement. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God in his mercy has granted life to all of those who are also sailing with me. Remember Joseph. Potiphar's house was blessed. Because of, because of Joseph. This is amazing. Imagine how God could benefit those around you. Not because of their own. Not, them not get blessed but rather get judgment. Which is what they, which is what we deserve. I mean God blesses us. When we don't deserve it even to the point where those around us could potentially be blessed because we're blessed. Like Abraham. God's like, I'm going to make you. You know, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. But I'm not just going to bless you for blessing you's sake, even though I love you and I've set my affections upon you. But God says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Wow. Wow. God has granted you life. I mean, and the ship's full of prisoners. I mean, the ship's full of criminals. I mean, not that we ain't all criminals. It's a beautiful picture of us. It's a beautiful picture of the world. Full of criminals and those who are the enemies of God. That's what we are when we're separated from God in our sin. It's beautiful. It's the gospel. What a message that Paul shares with these people. Talk about a word in season. Which is a word in season. 
if you know what I'm saying. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I mean, how many of you know that they were, I mean, this is a word that they all want to hear. But furthermore, because you were right the first time, we're feeling you right about now, Paul. And it's heavy because, look, it's a prophetic word, isn't it? Which is an encouraging word. We've been hearing all about that for the past two weeks, haven't we? How's it go, Pastor E? The prophetic word that will edify, exhort, and comfort. That's the prophetic word. Or I like the way Pastor E breaks it down. It's to build up, stir up, and to cheer up. It's synonymous. It's the same thing. He said, can you see how this word would build up, stir up, and cheer up? It's the prophetic word. Now, check it. Just, just another a sideline. Now, Paul hears from God in very certain terms, doesn't he? We could be guilty of expecting God to speak to us in similar fashion. We'll be like, whoa, Pastor Rob was talking about how the Lord spoke to Paul when he was in his difficult circumstances. And boy, how come? I wouldn't be in my difficult circumstances if the Lord spoke like that to me. See, and especially remembering that Pastor Pastor E has been talking about prophecy recently. Well, don't be quick to put yourself in Paul's shoes for a number of reasons. But one of them is, remember that Paul was an apostle. I'm not an apostle. No matter how many websites I build or how many radio or TV programs I have on satellite. Just because I call myself an apostle don't make me an apostle. And neither are you, at least in that sense, right? Because they were set apart specifically, particularly Paul, in order to write scripture. Thank God he's not going to hold me accountable for that when I get home. Or you, right? And where God may speak to us audibly, he may not. And he probably won't. And like Thomas, Jesus says, okay. Because remember, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared, right? After his resurrection. And they were like, Thomas, man, you should have been here, blood. Jesus, he appeared to us in bodily form. He's alive. Thomas is like, yeah, right, whatever. Whatever. And then a week later, it's funny, isn't it? Why not the same time? The Lord should have just done it. No, a week later, the Lord, it's beautiful. The Lord walked through the wall. You'd be like, I never read that before. Well, it says that the doors were all locked tightly, shut. So I presume the only way he's going to get in, he's going to tear the, the roof off, which it doesn't say. Remember, Jesus had a different body, his resurrection body. Mary saw him and never even recognized him. Jesus was on the seashore when the, the, the boys, them, the disciples were in the ship fishing and he calls them. Have you caught any fish? No, we ain't caught nothing. They don't even realize who they're talking to. Well, throw the net on the other side. And they do. Holy, 150-odd fish can't even pull in the net. Peter's like, raw. It's the Lord. <laughs> Into the water. Swims to shore, right? It's Jesus. They didn't even know it was Jesus. Even as they're sitting there, they're like, 
and he gives them bread and fish. I'm saying Jesus, when he appeared, they couldn't even recognize him. They weren't sure who he was. And in similar fashion, I don't know where I am now or why I told that story. <laughs> Somebody help me. <laughs> or were none of you listening? Thomas. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Thomas doubted. Say again. Believe in the word. Spoke to him. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Jesus says to Thomas. Heavy. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus says to Thomas. Right. He says, put your hand in my side. He says, put your hand in my wombs and see that it's me. And he says, he says to Th- you know, Thomas says, check it. Thomas goes, he falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. I always love to use that when I speak to Jehovah's Witnesses. You can't get out of that one. <laughs> my Lord and my God. And Jesus turns to him and says, he says, so, now he says to him, do you not believe? Because you see, because you touch. Now he wasn't rebuking him. He was saying, this is the purpose for which I've called you. Why? Because you're an apostle. And you're going to witness to what you've seen. And remember, they had to be with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist right up to his resurrection and his ascension. Why? Because they were going to now go and tell people, let me tell you. Do what you want to do. What kill me, but let me tell you, he's alive. See, that was their job. That's not my and your job. In the sense that we were there, and Jesus said it to him because he knew that there was going to come a time where we wouldn't see him. But the question is, would we still believe? See, and that's the question I'm asking with regard to. Do you need to hear God speak to you? I'm saying, no, you don't need it. It'd be nice. But don't necessarily expect that. Why? Because he has spoken to us. Especially in these last days, says Hebrews 1. How? Through his son. Thank you. Through his son. So who do you now need to get to know? How? You need to get to know Jesus through the pages of Scripture. Peter also adds that even though he and the other apostles saw and heard Jesus, I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw it all. Jesus, like, 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 like Superman, just went and opened his chest and revealed the, the S. Right? And they were like, Peter start chat foolishness, right? Up on the mountain. <laughs> I'm like, and Peter says, don't be impressed by that. He says, he says that, Peter adds that even though he and the other apostles saw and heard Jesus' voice, they had a surer word. And it was the testimony of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1. So if you want to be someone who hears clearly from God. Or you want, to, you want to be someone who speaks on the behalf of God. I warn you not to attempt to do so 
apart from the word of God and that in its proper context. This Bible, let me hold it up. Corey Red style. Hold, it, hold my Bible sideways like a pistol. Oh. This Bible is God's revelation of himself. When you give your attention to the scriptures, you give your attention to the voice of God. If you have ears to hear. In that way, may he speak to us in order that he might speak through us. What you need, when you need to hear it. But notice it's not a quick fix as we get ready to finish. It doesn't come without its challenges. That is God speaking to us. Look at verse 26. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that, that they were near inland. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. Right, that's when they dropped one of them things down to see how deep the water is. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let, them, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Huh. Wow. Huh. Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus got the whole boat praying. Jeez. Would you expect anything less than the apostle? Expect anything less from the apostle Paul? Some sailors then tried to escape, but Paul tells them to stay on board or lose their lives. Paul is now actually leading the ship. <laughs> He's become the pilot under Captain Jesus. Hey. And he tells them to eat and be strengthened, verse 33 to 35. It's suggested that Paul was actually taking and sharing communion at this point. We're not sure. Verse 36. Then... They all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were all 276 persons in total on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing off the excess food into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land. I mean, I'm sure they were glad to see it, but they didn't realize or they didn't know where they were. But they noticed the bay with a beach. Oh, it must have been like, I was going to say music to their eyes, but you know what I mean. When it was day, they did not recognize the land. Um, they noticed a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind. Wow. They made for the beach. I ain't got time. Verse 41, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, is a good man, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard. <laughs> that would have been me. Jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that they were all brought to brought safely to land. Paul makes reference to this, doesn't he, in Second Second Corinthians. 
shipwrecked. Acts 28 verse 1. After we were brought... After we were brought how? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Miletus. I say Miletus because when I first got saved, I got saved reading the King James Version of the Bible. Many verses I remember, I quote them from the King James. I just had to say that, Miletus. The modern day word for that island is Malta. Have a look behind me at the map real quick. Can you see as they're journeying from Crete, can you see the squiggle? You know what that is, right? That's when they got licked by the tempestuous storm and they didn't know where they were going. Remember, they're heading for Rome. This is so gone. That's them being tossed by the winds to and fro. And check it. They are providentially redirected. See, they they had the purpose in terms of where they were going. But how many of you know God had a purpose? When the enemy comes in like a flood... Scripture says the Lord will raise up a standard against him. No matter how you read that, God always wins. Because you know there's two ways to read that, right? Wow. This is amazing. They never planned to go to Malta, but God had planned that they go to Malta. Be like, Lord, but is that the way they had to do it? Well, remember the influences that are taking place. Sometimes we want to blame like difficult and horrible and terrible times, we want to blame it on God. We have an enemy, but God is so great that in spite of what the enemy does, look, verse 2, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out. Oh, Lord, more drama. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, you know when a, when a viper is not a boa constrictor. Boa constrictor wraps around you like wants to squeeze you to death. Not a viper. When a viper latches onto you, you know what's going on. That's his fangs in, in your arm, Right? fastened on his hand when the native people saw the creature hanging from it hanging from his hand they said to one another boy look how far my man traveled and few say he got away it's all right fate fate got him look <laughs> when they saw the creature hanging from his hand no doubt this man is a murderer though he has escaped the sea justice has not allowed him to live Verse 5, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Eh? They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. 
Now that's a miracle. Question. If God wasn't in this, would God have performed a miracle? Because Paul never performed no miracles. God did. See? If mortar wasn't God's will, would he have worked this miracle, preserving Paul's life? And we see somehow this fulfilled. I'm proper taking liberties up here, innit? I'm just rinsing at the time. You know what? I, honestly, when I step into the pulpit, I pray that God would give me a message. And if I feel that I don't finish it, I feel very frustrated. You know what I mean? Now, that's two things. One, that's the preacher in me. But two, it's also, I think, a little bit of, um, what do you call kids when they're not mature? No. What is it? I think there's a little bit of immaturity in me. I'm sorry that I've got to work my immaturity out on you. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I, like me, Pastor E, Pastor P, Marky, Bertram, Neil, we're just starting in this thing. Like that is teaching and preaching. You know? So forgive me for taking it out on you in this sense that is having you here for quite an extended amount of time. Mark, I spoke to Mark last night. Mark's like, how long are you going to be, bro? I said, I'm going to be at 35 minutes, bro. Oh, he's here, Kate. Oh, please. Maybe in five years we will get there. I don't know. May God have mercy more on you, you know what I mean, as well as me. But, you know, in Mark 16, at the end, um, it's suggested that that's not actually a part of the text. But it says to, about the apostle, I shouldn't have said that. It says you shall pick up serpents and snakes. You should drink deadly poison, right? And nothing will harm you. That's not a license to go drink poison. That's not a license. To, you know, they got a church called the Snake Handlers. Trying to pick up snakes, saying that they won't bite us. Because the scripture says, in the name of Jesus. That's no. No. But you see here, Paul is on mission. We've got... I would go as far to say that sometimes we're not protected when we're out there doing our own thing. If you're on mission with God, and that doesn't mean that you have to be on a mission field, but your heart, your mind is committed, you're on the bus, you're thinking about the word, you're, you know what I'm saying, you're at home, you have an argument with your wife, but you're thinking, Lord, I can't do this, I've got to fix up, forgive me. Shouting at your kids, barking at your kids, you're a young person and you ain't trying to listen to your parents. I'm like... In that moment, I can't give you assurance that God's going to protect you. I, I, I don't feel like I've got assurance. That's why when I have an argument with my wife, I'm like, I, I, I know I'm right, right? <laughs> Helen's not here, so I can get away with it. But in those times when I think I'm right, I want to make my point. I don't want to humble myself. But you know what? It says in Peter, it says, Robert, if you've got drama with your wife, don't come and talk to me. God said, I don't want to talk to you. Go away. Don't fix up your business with your wife and then you can come. Because it says, if I pray in that sense, God's not going to hear my prayer. I'm saying, don't be trying to pick up snakes when you're on holiday. You get me? Like, oh, the scripture says, no, you would die. <laughs> and we have to fly your body back. Second, Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, here the King James, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. If the, if the word of truth can be rightly divided, guess what? It can also be wrongly divided. Be careful. Now, verse 7. Now, remember, God just performed a miracle. They're in mortar. Hmm. God's will. Miracle. Wow. Verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief men of the... The who? The chief men of the island. Crete is a... No, Crete. They're Crete? Where are they? Malta is a big island. And that all of a sudden, they find themselves in front of a man named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Another miracle. Can you see that? Malta was a part of God's plan. What the devil meant for evil, the Lord has the ability to turn around for good. Verse 9, and when, they had, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island, oh my gosh, who had diseases, also came and were cured. Another miracle. And you know that Paul ain't going to be dead like, Woo, wow, like, Amazing miracles taking place. You know that Paul's not going to be there just, wow, look at the miracles. Isn't it wonderful? My man's going to be like, yo, all right, now that you're healed and you're sitting there in your full mind and listen, and you know he's going to share the gospel. You know that he's going to share the, you know that he's going to share the gospel. Because, you know, Paul's a beast like that. Verse 10. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Where are they going? They're getting on the ship. Where are they going? Look, a minute ago, they were going anywhere but Rome. Where are they going? They're on the ship, and they're going to Rome. Jesus and his disciples. Remember when Jesus said, you know what, fellas, come, let's get in the boat. We're going over to the other side of the lake. When they got halfway there, it never looked like it. Je- Where's Jesus? Somebody go and find him. Can't you see that we're all going to die? Where's Jesus? Jesus on the boat sleeping. And he's like, oh, ye of little faith. You'd be like, Lord, I'm about to die, Lord, in this situation that I'm in. Ah, God help me. Like, you're going to die, right? Feel like the Lord ain't close to you. Feel like the Lord's sleeping on you like... Like, you won't say God, it's coming like you're sleeping, but that's how you feel, right? The heavens are like brass, because your prayers are going ping, ping. Like, can't remember the name of the game. And I mean, see, remember Jonah? I'll leave that one at that. God had a heart for Malta. Let's not be frustrated when God redirects our lives. God's titanic purpose. The journey to Rome. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, I do pray, Lord, that my excitement at discovering gems, jewels, discovering platinum and ice, diamonds in your word, Lord. I pray to some degree, Lord, that that would be communicated, that that would permeate the hearts of your people, Lord. It's not my thoughts. I'm not getting excited about myself, Lord. I'm getting excited about your word and about the things that you've done, the things that you're doing, and the things that you want to do in our lives. Thank you that you're the same God. You don't change. You're the, yesterday, today, and forever, you're the same. We sing it all the time, but it is true. Thank you, Lord, that you've got a, a grand purpose for our lives, and yet sometimes it seems like our purpose is hitting an, hit an iceberg. And we're about to go down, maybe for the third or the fourth or the fifth time, but the fact that we're still here and breathing and it's the fourth or the fifth or the tenth time proves that you're faithful because we would have been dead the last time or we would have been run aground or finished but you haven't finished with us you have a purpose for us and we thank you Lord that that is so clear if nothing is clear Lord that is clear I pray that you would communicate that to our hearts your word is spirit and it is life bring your word to life in our hearts lord i pray for jesus sake